we're looking at a very simple question. Are we a giving church? You know, I get questions over the years about the Lord's church and about our giving and what have you. And there are many congregations of God's people and, and individuals professing Christianity, our brothers and sisters in Christ, who have got dissenting views about the role of a church in its giving and comparing it or contrasting that with those of individuals and thus the distinction we have among quote-unquote churches of Christ. It's happened over the years and so many congregations proclaiming Christ in the Christian way and how they use their monies for various kinds of endeavors had led to these kinds of questions. Can we have food pantries? Can we use the church treasury for such? Because many are. Or how about the church giving to United Way here in Williamson County? Or maybe for being involved as a church, if you will, at the Williamson County or here in Franklin, the Bridges Domestic Violence Center for Women and Children. These are kinds of questions that inevitably come up over the years. And I remember when I first um, moved to Georgia, these are those things that I was faced with because we had two congregations in the city, one quote-unquote institutional and one quote-unquote non-institutional. And I just, for the sake of some brethren here, when we talk about institutional brethren, you know what brethren who are of the institutional church think? Why are you calling us institutional? It sounds like we belong in a home. <laughs> I've actually had brethren that I said, well, you're institutional, right? What does that mean? <laughs> is that question when I study with them. And so, you know, these are very, very uh, important matters to us because we're sensitive over these things. It's so sensitive an issue for many that we've had this major split. From a personal standpoint, I don't like it. I abhor it, in fact. It is my personal desire that we would have unity. That's me. Now, some brethren content to have this division, and I hope that's not the case. But I say these things because when we look at a subject matter like this, the question inevitably is asked, and I've had this asked of me, Mitch, why is the church not involved in any of these caring activities? You make a, a bad name for the community. I've had that said to me. Not here, but from where I came in Georgia. Because we were not involved in any of those things that, that you saw on the previous slide. Well, of what went on in Fayette County, for that matter. And so, why is our congregation not involved in any of these caring activities? Is it because we're poor? We don't have financial means to help out? Well, certainly that's not the case. I look at some very nice threads everyone has. I think we have money. I look at this building... And there's no doubt we have money. So I know it's not a matter of money, so is it because we have no love then? We're just uncaring. Well, I can tell you right now, you can ask some brethren here who have been helped financially. From brethren in the congregation here. There's a lot of love and care for one another. There have been suggestions. Can we help this or can we help in that regard? So is it a matter of love? And the obvious answer, I believe, is no. It's not because it's... It's a matter that we have a lack of love. Are we too lazy? That may be part of the answer. But that's not why we're not involved in these activities. 
there are brethren that, you know, we just, in our own world, doing our own thing. But I don't believe that it involves any of these endeavors or any of these reasons why we don't participate in these kinds of activities. And so we're going to look at answering this question, and it's going to serve a twofold purpose. And I want us to see that what we want to do is simply try our very best to provide a biblical standard for the things we do. We call it hermeneutics, how we interpret the scriptures. And I'm going to say when we talk about these hermeneutics, I know we had the young adult class with Bible authority at the very beginning of that quarter, last quarter, and got into those things where we talk about commands or approved or apostolically approved examples or necessary inferences or necessary implications, if you will, or dealing with silence and what have you. Those are the traditional things that we've used to understand hermeneutics. And we're going to use to use that hermeneutic, if you will, to see a collective reasoning of, of these scriptures to show why we're not involved in these kinds of activities. But the other part is, I believe the onus then belongs to us as individuals. And I've heard men give these kinds of debates and what have you where it's, it's an individual's responsibility, not the church, letting you know where, where I would stand in teaching on this. But we don't do anything. And I speak generally because there are individuals that are very involved. Brothers and sisters in Christ, very involved in giving their lives in service to the Lord in various ways. And some of it is going to be public. Some of it is going to be completely private because you want it to be. And I remember sharing with a particular sister in Christ who had asked me these kinds of questions. You know, the church here is doing nothing. And I said, well, if you want me to start listing you all that's going on here, I'll be happy to do so. But these brethren don't want to be named. And so that's why we're having a lesson like this to look at it. And hopefully it's going to exhort us, though, to be involved in the lives of those who have needs. Whether it be for organizational or just individual efforts. When I say organizational, where you might give your monies or your time and energy to a particular activity that you conscientiously are able to do and to participate in. And those things that you just do on an individual basis, maybe for a neighbor, or someone you know, family-wise. So... We're looking at those things this morning. I want us to note some things regarding our hermeneutics, because I think this has got to be an important side point. I, I give a, a series of lessons every single year. I stopped a few years ago doing it every single year, but I remember doing it because the congregation, at one time, when I asked, you know, how many of you have studied on this? Not one raised their hand, so that's why we had done it for so many years. But there's a principle involved in these hermeneutics, and I want us to note some of these things. When it comes to salvation, we talk about baptism in particular. We look at a number of scriptures like Luke 24, 46 and 47, Mark 16, Matthew 28, so on and so forth. When we talk about being baptized in the Christ Jesus for the remission of sins, and when we look at all these passages, it talks about us believing in Jesus Christ, Mark 16, verse 16, or confessing that he is the Christ, what we can get into Acts chapter 8, verse 35 through 39, or... Romans chapter 10, verse 9, for that matter. That it's done for the remission of sins. That's what Luke said to go and preach, verse 46 and 47 of Luke 24. And what is told in, Matthew, in Acts chapter 2, and verse 38. All these things we teach because that's what's revealed. I mean, it's real common sense. It seems simplistic. There's no high understanding of theology. It's, here's what Jesus said. Here's what his disciples did. And that's what we teach. It's what's revealed. 
We teach a cappella. As far as worshipful singing, when we come together as a congregation of God's people, we use Ephesians 5, verse 19, or Colossians 3, verse 16, where we come together teaching and admonishing one another. And so we teach that. We see the Scriptures are silent in, in other areas of this kind of singing. We don't see instruments and so on and so forth in the Lord's church. And so we teach that from a hermeneutical stand. But I'm going to share something with you. We're not perfect in our hermeneutics. I want to make that very clear. And I want that long pause for you to stop and think about the fact that we're not perfect in our hermeneutics. I use this just as one example. Not one brother or sister in Christ has ever given me Bible authority for us having these flowers. Until two years ago. When an elder from a particular congregation did, I honestly tried listening. And he is a brother I love and hold in high esteem. I love him dearly. But I could not understand his reasoning. And I'm pretty good at understanding, I thought. Maybe I'm not as fast as I think I am. Maybe I'm slower and I can't catch on. But when he gave me the reasoning, I, I asked a second time. And he gave it a second time. I could not understand after twice. I've searched on the Internet. I can't find any teaching along the lines of whatever he was mentioning for Bible authority for flowers. The point is, we strive with our faithfulness to have a thus saith the Lord for all that we do. And we still come up short. And even after all that is said and done, there are brethren that still disagree from a Bible hermeneutical standpoint that looking at the very same scriptures, talking about commands, talking about examples and inferences, talking about silence of the scriptures, and they still come up with different conclusions. Brethren, we're not perfect in understanding. That doesn't negate our responsibility to the utmost, our very best, to adhere to the Word of God as revealed to us. And so understand that we're not going to be perfect, and we are not perfect in our execution of these hermeneutics, but we strive for such. And we make changes as a result. Some getting to the question of, and I want to just labor it just a little bit more, you know, how much gold is too much as far as the making of the building? You know, did we have to get light like this or can it be cheaper lights? Can we get carpet like this or we get cheaper carpet or pews or cheaper, I mean, so on and so on. All that in our discretion. And so we get into a lot of questions regarding this, whether it's the building, the actual building itself, to the kinds of uses within the building, and, and so on and so forth. So we're talking about trying our very best to have Bible consistency. So when we're talking about financial matters then, we teach what the Scriptures expressly, expressly says. Here's what the Word of God reveals as to what churches have been taught or commanded or have practiced. And that's what we do. And that's simple enough. Even if you didn't know commands, examples, inferences, and all these kinds of things and studied up on them or had Bible studies on them, you can know here, here's what they did in the first century church, and that's what we're trying our very best to emulate, to pattern ourselves after. And so when we look at these things, we see some things about this. Well, notice these areas of what we do. When we go to 1 Corinthians 9, when Paul was saying, well, have we no right to eat? Have we no right to bring along a believing spouse in the first part of the chapter? 
And then he goes on discussing how, you know, ministers were involved in serving through the teaching of God's Word. She would not benefit from that. Do we have no right? You know, soldiers, they go out to battle. Do not the taxpayers pay for, for them? Our public servants, if you will, of this country, are they not supported by the public? That happens in this country. We see it in Scripture. Paul is saying the same thing regarding the Word of God. And so when Paul was mentioning in Philippians chapter 4, verse 15, he says, you know, no one else in Macedonia were, was helping support me except for you. They were supporting Paul in the preaching of God's Word. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, where we talk about elders, that they have the, the right, if you will, Paul taught, to receive double honor, especially those who give themselves over to the Word of God. And so we can look at these passages and say, well, you know, churches were involved in supporting those who serve the needs of the Lord's church, whether they be ministers or they be pastors or elders, if you will. Or how about the fact that we can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and we'll look at that text real quick. We, we read it so often, but I want to clarify something in the text here. Now concerning the collection for the saints, I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. My question is, why did the church lay aside every week? It was for the saints who were in need. The text goes on to refer to the saints in Judea. That's why. Is that why we lay aside every single week? Because we have needy saints in Jerusalem, in Judea? What we do is we extrapolate from this text. What I'm saying, where we get into consistency, we're a lot broader than 1 Corinthians 16, but that's the passage we use to command us giving. Because we're commanded to give. We're told, we're, we're, I'm going to be very clear. I don't think personally, I don't believe personally, they were commanded from, that, from this passage. I believe this is an example for us in why we do it and why we do it on the first day of the week. But our hermeneutics, you know, says, well, we have this pattern here and we have this necessary inference. Well, I don't believe that's necessary from this text personally. But I believe that's a pattern that we have. That's what's revealed in Scripture. That's what we do. But these are for needy saints. That's pretty clear, very obvious. When you go back to um, 1 Timothy chapter 5 and read verse 16, in fact, you go back to the very beginning of 1 Timothy chapter 5, where it's talking about widows indeed. You know, if you have family members, let them take care of their widows so that the church would not be burdened. I think that's a very telling point. That sometimes the church can get involved in too much if you will, in the, in the idea of benevolence, so that they would actually use the funds, the means from the Lord's treasury, for those who are widows indeed. Those who are truly widows. That's why it says those who are younger widows, get married again. Keep telling my wife, if she were to ever leave this world, you know, sorry, <laughs> sorry honey. <laughs> but you see the point. You have responsibilities and don't burden the church. The church has a responsibility to, to support its needy saints. But it's got to be in that situation. And so that's what we're given. But it doesn't give us a borderline that says, okay, if you make this much, 
you can't receive anything from the church, or if you are in this situation, I mean, there's none of those lines. We use discretion, we use wisdom, we use compassion to make those kinds of decisions. But we try our very best to be consistent. Well, when it comes to individuals, however, that's very clear. The scriptures are abundant. We could look at many more than what's given up here. But when you look at passages like Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37, it tells us explicitly to love our neighbors and how we can help our neighbors. Or we can look at passage like Matthew chapter 25 where it's dealing with the judgment at the end. Remember, God is going to part those to his right hand and those to his left. And what does he say to those of his right hand? You know, when, when I was sick or when I was naked or when I was impoverished or when I, when I was in jail, when I was thirsty, you provided care for me. And their question was, well, when did we do this to you? Well, when you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And the opposite, for those parted on his left. Well, we didn't know. There are those that either are going to give their lives in service to love their God with all their heart, soul, and mind, and love their neighbor as themselves. Again, that's the thrust of our walk in the Lord in serving our God. That's what was given to individuals. We're told in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and verse 2, that we would share one another's burdens. And of course, it's dealing spiritually, I believe, in that text. But it even moves on by the time you get to verse 10, where he says, Do good unto all men, especially those of the house of the faith. And that's what John taught, the same thing in 1 John chapter 3. And so what we have then is this idea that when we live our lives to the glory of God, we're going to be giving ourselves. We're going to be giving ourselves to the work of the Lord. And there are some among brothers and sisters in Christ that have this idea that, you know, well, the church, it's all about spiritual. And yes, it is, but guess what? There's physical things that go on that take place in the lives of men. And that's what we do. We care for them. The church, when it's helping someone in need, like needy saints, it's a physical need. But does it help them spiritually in the Lord? I believe it's very encouraging. But what we see is a responsibility as given in Scripture to a limited group. And it's not that the church itself is not about loving those in this world. It's what we see in Scripture. And so as individuals then, we have minds that say, well, you know what, I still think the church can go ahead and support those outside the body of Christ. There are brethren that think that way. I'm not one of them, but there are brethren that think that way. And their mind is full of compassion, full of love for those in this world. But we have brethren that says, that's not what we see in Scripture. And so we've got this tug of war. We split. Rather than saying, well, can we come up with a solution? Can we come up with a solution that both sides can say, we still can help with these individuals, but let's do it in a capacity that helps us with our mind that says, let's not use the Lord's treasury for such. That's where I come from. That's what I personally believe. Otherwise, I hate all this, all these different churches in one little town. That's me. I don't like that. But we have these differences. 
And we need to resolve those, I believe, because that's what Jesus prayed for in John 17. But the thing is, while and until that takes place, and effort should be made along those lines, what are we doing in our own lives? You know, we may not be involved in these kinds of um, organizations. And we may have personal convictions as to whether or not we can be involved in these kinds of organizations. I know of a particular um, sister in Christ that would love to be involved in, in one of these kinds of activities that is taking place on the weekends, building homes, building habitats for humanity. But she won't do it because it offends some brethren. Some brethren that believe they're associated with such and such religious group and so on and so forth, and so you have no authority for such. And, and, and here she wants to help out a neighbor. And this is a capacity that is available to her to help. Those are decisions and differences that exist among brethren, maybe within this congregation as well. But in the meantime, while we work through those issues, what are we doing? Are we generous to our God who has been generous to us? For instance, just because we don't have needy saints in Judea today, does it mean that we don't have needy saints? And we might have needy saints... Not necessarily, although it can include our brothers and sisters in Christ here. In fact, I'll just stop for that for a second. Of our brethren here that would be in need. You're going to have different opinions as to what constitutes need. At what level of income. Had they done everything to, to help in their own family situation. And there are going to be some saying, well, you have to finally live in your, your minivan before you can go ahead and get support from the church. And others saying, wait a second, that's just a little bit too far. <laughs> See, we're not given that kind of information in Scripture, so we use love and wisdom to discern those kinds of decisions. That's what we do. It's, co it's common sense. And some don't like hearing those words, common sense. It sounds too simplistic. But when you only have so much given in a limited fashion, there's freedom within what is revealed to us. And that's what we're looking at here. And so, are we being generous? And sometimes brethren won't give to the work of the Lord because they don't see that need. Well, guess what? There's always need. I can tell you right now, whether it's Haiti, Japan, of our own brethren, our own brethren, go to the Philippines, go to South America, go to South Africa. You go to Zimbabwe where their currency no longer exists because inflation was... Tens of thousands of percent. <laughs> They're all in need. We always have needy brethren among us. There's always a need. There's always men wanting to go and preach the gospel. There's always individuals wanting to do the work of the Lord. Should we not help to support them? And I know we can't do everything. That's not the point. The point is, are we as brothers and sisters in Christ in this congregation saying, you know what? He who sows or yeah, sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Do we sow sparingly? And one of those means is how we give to the Lord every time we come together on the Lord's Day. Because the work of the church will continue with or without what you give or what you don't give for that matter. But you need to be generous. We just read out of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, that very verse, that we would give generously and not grudgingly. Forgive, brethren. Don't, don't hold back. 
God is blessing you. But Mitch, I got bills. Yeah, I believe you do. And I don't mean to, to make light of the pain. Many of us have those bills. You suppose that widow that gave her two and only two mites was probably looked down upon by many of the, her fellow Jews as poor steward. She gave everything she had, and how foolish. She should have used that for food for that day. God understands. Amazingly enough, Jesus commended her. Maybe we need to be the ones that change our minds on what we do and how we give about those, those matters. Well, Mitch, what you're suggesting is very foolish. Because if you give everything, you have nothing. You can't pay your bills. Amazingly, I don't know how God does it, brethren. I honestly don't. But He does provide. I don't know how. It's amazing. But He does provide. I know of brethren in South America, every single Lord's Day, you know what the church balance is at the end of service? Zero dollars and zero cents every Sunday. They believe God provides. They just hand out the money to those in need right then and there. But of course, our giving is not just about money. Our whole lives are supposed to be living sacrifices. We're told in Romans 12. We're told in James chapter 1, verse 27, pure and undefiled religion. It's not limited to widows, and it's not limited to orphans. It's a picture of what our walk in the Lord should be like. A walk of faith. That we love our neighbor, just as we love our God. And so when we look at this pure and undefiled religion, it talks about our time, basically inherent within that um, scripture. Our time, our energy, our resources for those in need. Where there's going to be brethren coming together and cleaning the building or cleaning the, the area of the building for whatever deemed purpose or whatever it's going to, whatever we're going to be doing in helping one another with our situations in our homes. But the church as, as collectively can be involved in these kinds of things as we look among saints for the work of the Lord. And those things that are outside the body of Christ, we can do as individuals. Ironically, I'm going to share this. If enough individuals of this church is doing something on an individual basis, you know what people refer to that as? The church doing it. The church in Franklin, they're all about helping those in need. And what we say is, no, it's not the church. We do it as individuals. Yep, we may be doing it as individuals, and that's how we see it in scriptures, but it's going to be referred to as the church. When we get together, like we did in December, that was individuals, right? Getting together. From a hermeneutic standpoint, it's but what do we say? The church is getting together. We do that. So what, what I'm saying is, as individuals within the body here, we need to be busy about serving. That's a song that was led for us. Well, Gordon's leading us in those songs. And the one that um, Phil had led us in, about being, let me be, make me a servant. Make me like you, Jesus. Serve. That's the exhortation. And brethren, we need to be busy serving. If all we're doing is living our lives for, for Mitch Davis, for myself, then I've missed the whole boat of what my life is like in the Lord. We need to understand the exhortations that we have. And so, I, I would recommend 
Find local places. It doesn't have to be organizations. It can just be your neighbors who are in need. It can be whomever. And I'm talking about outside the body of Christ in addition to those within the body that we can be on. But find places where you can serve in your community. And so we see that it starts not only within the household of faith, but beyond that. But primarily it starts there. And so if we live our lives, isn't that what Jesus said when he says, this is the, where the law and the prophets are hung on loving your God and loving your neighbor. And I believe when we do that, brethren, when people talk about the congregation here, they'll talk about the church here. They're not going to talk about individuals. For instance, when I went down to Ramada Inn, where there was a person who was in need, that person didn't say, oh, you know, there's these individuals at the Franklin congregation. He said, the Franklin congregation is very generous. And I'll tell you, it's good to have a good name. A good name serves well in the community. But it takes us individually, being in the community, serving the needs of others. The primary focus is heaven. We'll never forget that. And we need to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there are needs that take place. And we're there to serve those kinds of needs, whether they be physical or spiritual. We're not about a quote-unquote social club. We're about helping people see the truth of God's Word. But that does not take away from what Jesus said in Matthew 25 about helping those who are in need. And so those are the exhortations that you have. And so if we want to look at it from a hermeneutical standpoint, trying to delineate, I believe the Scriptures are clear. The Lord's Church as a collective body of believers coming together is involved in helping those in, in the Word of God and in benevolence, those who are in need within and among the body of Christ. While we might have that distinction, we can still have means by which we can solve with our brothers and sisters in Christ that say, well, it's okay to use the treasury. I know of elders who have made those kinds of efforts back in Georgia. And in fact, I was talking to Phil this morning, Phil Hunt, that is, about Joellen's brother in, in Georgia, where they're trying to make that effort, where you have quote-unquote institutional and quote-unquote non-institutional brethren trying to come together through the truth of God's Word and say, can we have unity? I commend that personally. I'm going to tell you right now, this is recorded. I'll get flack for what I just said. I understand that. There are brethren that disagree with me on that. But I commend the effort that they're making. That's what Jesus prayed for. And that's what we should all desire, brethren. If you don't have that desire, I honestly think you have a doctrinal problem with the Lord. Then. And so I commend you to the work of the Lord. I'm asking you, are we a giving congregation? Are we a giving church? You have to answer that by your walk every single day. And I pray that you'll do so to the glory of God.